you can have terabytes of data, but it doesn't contain the expertise that that your engineer or even your user uh, has accumulated uh, in the industry over the last 20, 30 years in, in their brain. So knowledge first AI is about the combination of human knowledge and data to build better models than predictive models than you could do alone with data. Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Parton and you are listening to The Feedback Loop on Singularity Radio. This week, my guest is entrepreneur and technologist Christopher Wynn, who, in addition to starting his own companies, has spent four decades working at some of the world's biggest tech giants. In this episode, we focus on exploring the many facets of artificial intelligence, including Christopher's ideas around knowledge-first AI, bad training data for AI, issues with the black box, GPT-3, deepfakes, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, let's just jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to the feedback loop, Christopher Wynn. So, uh, you know, one of the places that I think would be interesting to start with you is to go through a little tour of your history, because over the past 40 years, I would say you've worked at some of the biggest companies, uh, tech companies specifically on the planet, uh, Intel, HP, Xerox, and Google, just to name a few. So being so close to these companies that are spearheading innovation in the way that they have, what kind of changes have you seen over the decades in terms of how the tech industry is functioning and how these companies are responding to the changing of the times? Well, um, actually, one part of my uh, work career, if you will, that, mm. that I haven't shared, that I haven't talked about, is that I did work when I was in high school. Uh, I spent a year at NASA Ames Research Center. Mm. Um, and, and this is going to, to date me. But the project I was working on was to identify constellations, uh, star maps, right, that are very promising for potential for discovery of extrasolar planetary systems. So basically, that was before we even saw one. <laughs> so you can sort of <laughs> maybe maybe that's 19th century or something, uh, but there was a time when we didn't see any uh, anything outside our, our you know in terms of uh, planetary systems other than than our own. That was actually my first uh, science and engineering job. That was I was the senior at high school, uh, but but since then I've had the the opportunity of uh, participating in and working in. Uh, so many different waves uh, of technology, and I'm, I'm perhaps one of those weird people that that uh, can learn very quickly and 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 adapt to each new wave. So today, I'm working, of course, on on AI and specifically industrial AI. I think one of the biggest things that has changed is you take Silicon Valley as a as a proxy, right? Um, it has shifted all the way from manufacturing, right, making. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we call the the, the atoms, right? <laughs> uh, making transistors and chips and so on, uh, all the way through the software and and through consumer and so on, and and the interesting thing that's happening now, you know, particularly as it relates to singularity radio and Ray Kurzweil and so on, is that uh, um, we are finally touching human intelligence, right? Mm. And there's something qualitatively different about that. You know, people like to say you know, it's different this time as a joke, right? But I do feel that it is different this time. Uh, 
Um, we've always augmented ourselves, right? The glasses that you and I are wearing, uh, you know, that's augmentation, right? And Google, you know, we would cease to function uh, if, if we didn't have access to our Google and our mobile devices. So I think the augmentation of technologies is not new at all. A chair was the technology at, at some point. But I think there's something very qualitatively different, qualitatively different, very powerful, and also very disturbing mm. when we think about augmenting our minds, right, with with things that may be possibly smarter than us. Yeah. Well, and, and recently you founded a company, and and pardon me if I pronounce this incorrectly, but I think it's Idomatic. Or Absolutely, I that's correct. Yes. Yeah. That's how and, we pronounce it. And so you, it's a focus on what I think you call AI engineering. What, what is that exactly? And can you kind of take us through a walk, a, a tour of what the company is focusing on? We are focused on something called uh, knowledge first AI, right? And that is to distinguish it from knowledge second and knowledge third. Right? Uh, otherwise, you always have knowledge in AI. Uh, but but Silicon Valley, for the most part today, and I use the term Silicon Valley here as a, as a, uh, as a proxy for the general consciousness, the kinds of things that you hear, you know, you read in TechCrunch and Fortune magazine and, and newspapers and so on. Um, so, so that that bubble is very much uh, concerned with data first AI, if I can coin that term. Mm. Meaning, uh, you know, in 2012, right? That was when the cat uh, article came out. Uh, you know, and, and my 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 friends at Google had worked on YouTube videos that that saw cat. Uh, videos and eventually somehow that deep neural network it would sort of emerged an understanding or at least a, 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 a the ability to identify cats versus dogs versus uh, you know Britney Spears and and so on and, and by the way there's an aside there that, that they didn't start out Quokle uh, who worked on that project actually started out you know trying to identify Jennifer Aniston but <laughs> <laughs> but referring to it as cats is is more user friendly. Yeah. Um, um we since then the industry has been very much about digital ai right bits in bits process bits out uh, and that turns out to be the easier part and in, in, in retrospect it, it makes sense we we we, we work on the low-hanging fruit first uh, but the hard part is where ai or machine learning hits uh, the physical industry which you know uh, ahead of our being able to upload ourselves we're still physical beings right mm -hmm. we still drive cars we still eat fish um, so there's a 25 trillion dollar industry out there and for the past five five years they've been thinking we're doing something wrong because we're, we're not succeeding at this and by, by the way i was in that my my previous company was acquired by panasonic mm -hmm. which as you may know makes all of the tesla batteries uh, has a coal supply chain uh refrigeration uh, automotive and so on um and and this industry has been struggling with how do we take advantage of this thing? This is, you know, to 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 increase revenues, to make better products, and so on. And they repeatedly run into walls. And it turns out that wall is because, and this is a somewhat surprising, but but I I would like to say no longer controversial. There's not enough data hmm. to train in the same way that we do in 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 the digital industry, you know, when you're trying yeah. to predict clicks of the ads or, you know, your social networks and so on. So knowledge first AI turns out to be a key solution to that, which is to apply human knowledge, domain expertise, things that are outside that data set. You can have terabytes of data, but it doesn't contain the expertise that that your engineer or even your user 
has accumulated uh, in the industry over the last 20, 30 years in, in their brain. So knowledge first AI is about the combination of human knowledge and data to build better models than predictive model than you could do alone with data. And and that's uh that's it, you know, depending on who you talk to, that's intuitively intuitively obvious or mm-hmm. it's actually quite controversial. But that's what we focus on. And obviously you're gonna be biased here, but how is it working? I mean, does it feel like this knowledge first approach is starting to make some inroads in the industry in the material space? Where, uh, where like the data first approaches hadn't in the past? Um, as a concept, it is completely proven. Mm. Uh, I would say it that way. And, and but let, let me break that down though, so it yeah. doesn't sound like magic. Uh, uh, in, let, when you, if you have a Tesla, when you drive a car, you know, today that is self-driving and, and you know, if, if you have the latest uh, version FSD beta, mm. it is pretty much driving itself, uh, you know, uh, around uh, 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of human knowledge built into that a lot of it without that you would not have that so that's what i mean by as a concept it is proven right that's number one number two when you talk to the industrial people the manufacturers the you know uh, wind farm people the uh, aerospace people and so on all of that makes a lot of sense to them so that you don't have to sell that idea to them they say i always knew this Right. The real challenge is, do you do that sort of manually? Right. Like, like, okay. If I buy into something like that, is there an automated way to do that? Right. So over the next five years, you're going to see more and more companies like ours trying to automate that process to make it easier. Right. And and you can already sort of see emerging recently, you know, chat GPT and so on. Right. Um, those tools are going to be like foundational models are going to be much more powerful, not as those iterations. Those are those are what I call demos, right? But but the real thing is going to be the ability to translate automatically for the first time, if you will, right? Human knowledge, natural language, spoken words, written words, and so on, into some kind of structured form. Mm. Which then then be combined with with our very structured machine learning kind of domain, right? And and that's the innovation that's happening today with, with these companies, including including ours. Yeah, and you touched on the collaborative aspect there of the human and the technology and and GPT for that matter. And and thinking back to Deep Blue beating Gary Kasparov in ninety seven to GPT three, showing breakthroughs right now that are, are really just blowing people's minds for lack of a better phrase. The common fear is that in a lot of ways, this AI is starting to make humans obsolete. So as an advocate for this human AI collaboration, how do you address that concern that humans are actually becoming, in fact, obsolete? Well, uh, let, let me first get something out of the way, right? I'm mm-hmm. not one of those techno optimists that say, oh, it's, it's, it's automatically going to be, you know, fine and dandy. So sure. there are there are a lot of hidden dangers in AI, just as there are with any any tool and any powerful tools, right? Uh, the power of a tool is not inherent within the tool, but where it is applied and the scale at which it is applied, right? This we have something, you know, even before AI, the internet is something where we can first for the first time reach seven billion people. You know, hundred years ago, you do something, you know, no matter how smart you were, you probably reach a hundred people and then a thousand people and ten thousand people and so on. So, so the reach alone is 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 to be respected, if not 
feared, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so having said that, there are intentioned ways that we can say let's let's steer it in this direction rather than let it flow in any any in, 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 you know any potentially bad directions. And I think one of the things is what we just touched on just now. Um, we augment, right? Technology has always augmented our abilities, right? And so um, t- take what we can see today already, right? GPT, Lambda, various um, you know large language models and 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 sort of multimodal, including images and and soon uh, sound, <clears throat> you know, speech and, and video and so on. It, it's going to make us much more powerful mm-hmm. than than we were before that, just as any technology has done. And I think if you sort of try to repeat that, maybe you can't predict 50 years, you know, as, as Ray Kurzweil has, but but at any given iteration, you can just say, well, I'm going to try to I'm going to try to ride on top of this in, in some you know, predictable, responsible way. Uh, and I think that's that's my optimism. Of course, if you extend that, then it it does get to something which may be a little disturbing. But mm-hmm. but the future has always been disturbing, right? So, for example, augmenting our own your own mind, right, directly with with these models, um, I, I think is 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 a, the path of the future, even though it seems very disturbing to some today. But yeah. you know, just as me sitting here in the little box with with a with a laptop can be quite disturbing to somebody who who worked in the field a hundred years ago. Yeah. So would you say then that that brain computer interface approach that you're kind of touching on there is a natural place will end up if the trajectory continues without too much steering? Or do you think that that's a place that we do have to steer ourselves towards to maybe keep that symbiotic beneficial collaboration rather than something that's more like an us versus them? Yeah, I, I think we absolutely need steering. There's sort of a low mm-hmm. low resolution and high resolution steering, right? Um, I, I think that is the one of the optima that that we will find ourselves as a human species one way or another mm-hmm. uh, but within that path there are very disturbing ways of nav- to navigate that and, and there are more user-friendly ways to navigate that i think i think the steering at that high resolution particularly as it touches the mind right the human mind which we mm-hmm. know very little about and which really control ourselves like our actual selves who we are i think we need to be very careful about navigating that but but to say not to do that i i think um uh who is it uh uh kelly of, of wired has a has a term that i really like you can you know he has a book that says what technology wants right mm-hmm. you think about technology as its own species uh i think what technology of course it's it's a it's a cumulative effect of, of human will but it looks like technology wants to prolif- proliferate. Technology wants to be integrated. Technology wants to evolve, and and so technology wants that. What are we going to do to control and to manage uh, the, the the navigation, uh, you know, through that path? Yeah, and before we move away from GPT, just because I think it's such a relevant topic right now. I, I don't know if this is beyond your scope at all, but could you maybe just explain? how it works just a little bit for for our listeners who might not be quite familiar with that and and maybe you can even add your thoughts about is it as good as we think it is you know is is there a lot of hype right now that is unfounded or is this something that's truly um opening the door for a revolution in the field really 
Right. That that's a interesting discussion. There are always going to be extremes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually you can you can assume that extremes are going to be wrong, but but they help form the boundaries or the brackets for the, for, for the, the the rail the rails for the discussion. There's extreme that say this thing is you know extreme, this thing is sentient. It already you know it, it should be treated as as another organism and, and and have rights and things like that. And then there's the extreme that says oh this doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, it's just a bunch of you know bits that, that that move and just repeat what we say. I think both of those extremes are wrong, mm-hmm. as it relates to Chat GPT or more more fundamentally the, the large language models, the foundational models behind it. Um, and you know, relating to technology uh, generation that that I've been through, another thing that I worked on at Intel was the first flash devices. You know, to think about <laughs> the, the very first transistors, and and now you've got probably you know, dozens of them on your body. Um, uh, I I usually very often always know exactly what's happening behind the scenes, mm. right? But that does not take away much of the wonderment that I feel, right? I, I like to say there's a very different, there's a difference between knowing and feeling, right? Mm. Both mm. good and bad. Sometimes uh, it takes, uh, I need to knock my head before I really feel that, okay, that's not a good idea, <laughs> even though I can r- logically work it out. So I think, I think, GPT and, and and what a lot of people now see chat GPT is one of those wonderment, right? Like you know exactly what's what's happening behind the scene, but it's still awesome, right? It's like the first moment Steve Jobs, 2007, stand on the stage and started, you know, swiping the screen, and then 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 the, and then the thing moves and it speeds up and slows down. It's like wow, right? So there's this wow moment, and and I I'm one of those people that say I I want to relish this wow moment, right? I don't want to dismiss it, and I don't want to be too 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 fearful with it. So, so you know, coming back to 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 just you know what it does and then how it does it. Um, today, it is possible, and I think most of your audience will already be familiar with this. If they haven't, they definitely should open an account and try it. Out. It is possible to go to a chat window with ChatGPT, uh, and and by the way, OpenAI is not the only company uh, doing this, right? So this is just one of of of, of the examples. Uh, you can intelligently have a dialogue with this thing right uh, and and you know five years ago five short years ago we were talking about initiative and creativity right this thing appears and I'm not saying underlying you know I'm just describing not 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 yet saying what's underneath it appears to have knowledge about the world right it's not just repeating something and when um, as a tool I'm already using it to generate uh, ideas, uh, you know, m- maybe I shouldn't share this. It's kind of a, a temporary advantage uh, when we deal with a new customer, a new use case that I don't know the space really uh, reasonably well. We're already using it to ask what what use cases might you, might you hey ChatGPT or you know whatever is there uh, might we apply this uh, knowledge first AI to? And it gives pretty reasonable suggestions, not necessarily correct, but certainly much better than me alone. And then I would take those five ideas that it gives me, and I would research and 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 you know be very efficient at it. If I had had to use just just a month ago, I would have to Google and sort of try to learn the area and so on. So yeah. so in other words, it's already you know I'm going to use this word. It's already teaching me something, right? Mm-hmm. At least as a as a friend, right? Maybe not smarter than me, or maybe it is smarter than, but but it's more than a dictionary. It's more than Google. Right, it seems to have an understanding and a knowledge of the world, and 
what's really behind it is no more, but also no less than having fed a very basic, at, at, at the core, it's basic. I'm not, I'm not trivial, trivializing the engineering prowess that feed that, that this was, but at the core, there's just a learning algorithm, right? Which is generally speaking, a deep neural network. And that deep neural network simply, when it does the computation of the so-called inference, you give a bunch of inputs, it multiplies those inputs by some weights, and then it sums them up, and then it sends those outputs to the next layer, and that's it. And then and then you repeat it, you know, twenty-seven times and thirty times and so on. Uh, when you train it, then you basically say, just try it, and then if you make a mistake, right? Like if you predict the wrong uh, output, I'll tell you, and you do it a billion times, and then after a while, it sort of learns, right? What is really learning is what we call the statistical distribution of the underlying data. I hope that's not too compli complicated. It's like the world is not random, right? The right. fact that I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, we're not a random collection of pixels. If it were, it would be like white noise, right? <laughs> um, so, so the fact that it's not random, that means there is a statistical pattern in everything. Mm -hmm. So when I speak a sentence, there's a there's a sense to it, right? It follows a certain sequence and so on. And so if you look at two, three, four, a million sentences, you begin to see correlation among these things. So then it emerges that the word good appears in certain places next to other words and, and other sentences and other paragraphs and, and other articles and other collection of articles in a certain ordered manner, right? And, and so it, it has been really just a matter of scaling that idea up, right, to terabytes of, 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 of data. And, and, you know, of course, it requires a lot of compute to do that. But what happens is that once you do that, there emerges an embedded understanding. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use that word without much embarrassment, right? <laughs> a a, a, a suf sufficient sort of clinically... Yeah. fit the, the 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 definition of understanding such that it can spit back out not just memorizations but the ability to combine the words i say and 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 the concept that it understands so that it spits out something like for example i just gave you the suggestions of use cases that mm -hmm. might be of interest to an industry i know very little about right. so so that's that's large language models in a, in a nutshell and um, the thing that I would extend it to is that language models is a key set, but but it's not only text, right? Right. Uh, uh, very, very soon, we're already seeing text and images being correlated. And that's why you have something like Dolly, where you can type in a description and it generates an image. And now Facebook or, or Meta Research has, has created something where you type in sentences that generates a video, right? Uh, these are sort of generative uh, capability. It it has to have something where it can generate things. It's not just repeating things, and and that's where we are. Are you concerned about uh things like deep fakes and and kind of where this is going? The ability for us to create text, custom text, this quickly and videos this quickly. Yeah, um, it feels like there's a lot of room for bad actors to have some impact with these tools. Uh -huh. 
Absolutely. If you look at my writings and, and my tweets, even, you know, up to five, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, again, this is my non-techno optimist credentials, right? I've, I've warned about these things and some of my, uh, yeah, uh, let, let me give you an analogy to e- economists, right? We call it dis- the dismal science, right? <laughs> and, and for the most part, be- before behavioral economics, economists work in steady states, right? Kind of like mm-hmm. in the limit, right in the long run it should be like this and then it was Keynes, i think uh, uh Keynes, who said uh, in, the, in the long run we're all dead right uh, <laughs> so so that's that's how i see these disruptive technologies right yeah of course in the long run we will adjust as a species we will say well you know just like today when i see you on on video i don't jump and i said oh my god who, who is this tiny guy right uh, but 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 back in you know when movies first came out there's a, this sort of famous example of people running away as a, the, the train approaches on the on the moving picture right uh, so as a species we will we will adapt we will we will adjust but there's it takes time it's a dynamic situation and it takes time and and if technology evolves faster than sort of our biological rate of being able to adapt what does that mean, right? Yeah. Uh, are we always going to be falling behind? We're sort of one cycle behind and then two cycles behind, three cycles behind. Um, so things like defects, of, of course, of course. Today, I think it's still fairly easy to to persuade an, a, a bunch of people. Uh, by, by the way, here's another thing. Uh, when we talk about these things, we are... We make the assumption that humanity or humans are grounded in truth and justice and equality, and it's not true. We're not about that at all. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, you know, I and others would love to be lied to, right? And so, if you give me something that is a lie but that conforms with my desired reality, I, I will use that. So, so I think defects, perhaps one of the most disturbing things about defects is not not that it fools people. But it allows people to fool themselves. I think. I think. I think that's uh, and that's a decade-long thing. I don't think. It, I don't think humans we will settle into this new technology that fast. Yeah, there seems to be a running uh, trend on the show lately, and and people I've talked to where that one of the big points made is we're we're are, we're judging AI so severely to a standard that goes well beyond what we hold our human counterparts to, who are far more capable of destructive behavior right now, and it. It's very interesting that AI's progress seems to be surfacing our awareness of just how bad some of our human behavior really is. Right, right. And to be sure, I'm not saying that to excuse AI. (laughs) I'm saying that to be even more careful Mm -hmm. that as we say AI must be better, that 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 we are actually not worse. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 to that note, I believe you've talked in the past about the uh, blind spots that Silicon Valley has and, and some of the ethical considerations around these tools. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit? Um, well, I, I like to talk not of first order things because people have already heard about that before, mm-hmm. but maybe there are second order things that are of concern, right? Uh, one of them is the belief by a large school uh, of thought. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying good versus evil here. You know, it's, it's kind of like, the, the separation between intent and impact. You don't mean bad, but your impact can be very bad. And so mm. you need to recognize that. Uh, one of them is, I'm just here to build the best model I can. The rest is someone else's problem, right? 
uh, don't expect me to 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 protect the world from this perfect model that I'm building. You know, you, you do that afterwards or right. before or whatever, right? You prepare the data, and 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 you decide to do with the output. My job is to build the quote unquote purest model possible. I think that's number one. That's a fallacy. Mm. Um, when you build a model, there there are biases that that you put into it. And you use the word bias not just in the colloquial sense of saying bias is bad, but you know, like I think most people well know now machine learning would not work without bias, right? But bias is this what we call DC level in electric engineering, right? There has to be a bias for things to work. Um, uh, so that's number one. Number two is that um, you can you can look at things as a system view, or you can look at things as a component view, right? Uh, it comes back to this this sense of saying, you know, I'm I'm only responsible for this part; the rest is someone else's problem. Um, I think it's okay to say I'm responsible for this part, but I think the next sentence has to be, I'm also very concerned with how this part is built and how it's being used, right? Um, I, sometimes I use the example of uh, a part of our society that says, you know, guns don't kill people, right? People kill people. Only the last party is responsible. Uh, I, I, I don't subscribe to that, to that view. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the, that's perhaps a, a, a reminder to, to myself and, and to my buddies around Silicon Valley of, of that responsibility, particularly because when, when I was a kid, I, you know, I was, I mean, as a, as an engineer kid, right. My technology, you know, I, I talk about flash, right. And I also worked on Unicode. It, it probably reached 10,000 people. But now when you, when you write some bits of code, some of us have the ability to reach a billion people. So it's, it's, yeah, it's the same code. It's the same model, but you have vastly greater power now. And, uh, you know, you got to be more responsible. Well, and we opened with talking a little bit about how maybe Silicon Valley and technology and the industry has changed. And one thing I know as a computer scientist myself and, and from talking to people, it seems there's more movement away from uh, a well-rounded humanities-based education around this to something that's more like boot camps and code camps. Um, and that makes me wonder to what you were talking about there. It's a bit concerning, perhaps, maybe that the people who are creating code that reaches a billion people don't have a humanities education, aren't thinking about philosophy, aren't thinking about these deeper issues. Is that something you're seeing maybe in, in the younger employees at these companies or a concern maybe that you have about where we're going forward with such an emphasis on STEM without no. any awareness of the other side of things? Well, let me share part of my credentials here before I speak is that I'm involved in the creation and the launching of a, a new a new university in, in Vietnam called Fulbright University of Vietnam. It's a part of the Fulbright program out yeah. of Kennedy School and so on. And interestingly, and, and the thing that I like about it is that it is not an engineering university. It is a liberal arts program. Mm. Uh, liberal arts with strong science and engineering foundations. Uh, and if you look at that, you know, that institution alone, um, uh, whether you like it or not, you know, it's, it's going to be true that over the next 10, 20 years, the graduates of that institution are going to be leaders of society, uh, leaders of business and, 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 and industry and so on. Forget about government, right? Um, but, but that's, that's the kind of liberal arts plus, you know, strongly founded, uh, foundation, strong foundations in, in STEM can produce. Um, but 
I have to 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 confess to something that I has been has puzzled me. Like, how do you how do you articulate the value of this other than, of course, we we all feel good when we say you know you got to be well rounded and 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 have the humanities and so on. But I, I listened to a podcast recently. And and uh, I think uh, uh, there's a professor at UCLA. I think her name is Kate Hales, and and she gave a a really good pitch that that I totally buy and that I'm going to use, right? Uh, and she is a she she's a Caltech graduate, uh, I think in chemistry or physics or something, uh, undergraduate. But then her PhD is in like literature, and she's a professor of literature, and she explains the value of literature this way, which is uh, and that really resonated with me. She says. The ability, uh, you know, what literature gives you is the ability to step into the mind of other people and other cultures and experience things that otherwise would be unreachable to you, right? Yeah. And, 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 and thereby become a better person, right? And, and I absolutely believe in, in the, I've lived in many countries. I was a refugee when I was a child. So I've, exp I've dealt with pirates, believe it or not, and, and prime ministers. And I think, I think that diversity, like that, has has concretely helped me, right? And in machine learning, we also see the same thing, right? Data variance is a good thing, so as not to overfit. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's that's a long way of saying I was very excited to hear a really good way to sell, you know, liberal arts education. Well, I mean, and to your point, I mean, the brain is potentially the best machine learning algorithm, the best inference engine that that's out there. So, I mean, if having a more well-rounded education increases your model of the universe, I would expect right. that you would become a better engineer uh, because you would be able to use that model. Yeah. Anybody who's multilingual knows that learning the next language makes you better at the languages you already know. Yeah. yeah. And we're seeing that in large language models as well. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, but it, there's an interesting irony here though, too, I'm, as I'm thinking about this though, that some of our most advanced uh, machine learning, some uh, tools like GPT, if I'm, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean, this is all still very much black box AI, right? So regardless of what kind of background and model of the world we have, we aren't really aware or able to shape too much what's going in, on inside that black box. I mean, would you agree with that? Well, um, I, I agree with it in, 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 in the large, in the sense of where we are, right? In other words, there's, there's a whole discipline emerging called alignment, right? Which is, you know, you go back to, you know, 2001 and so on. How, how do you align your robot or your, 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 your sentient being that you've just created with your intent, right? How do you align your own child with, with your values, for example, right? Um, uh, but, but at least as biological systems, we've sort of learned the art of teaching, right? And then hopefully we, we get what we want. Um, uh, so I think alignment is absolutely, so, so, is so important, right? Because if we just build the thing and then, okay, let it run wild, then it will go in some random direction, right? It, there will not emerge a kind of, you know, ethical concerns and, 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 you know, granted that ethics itself is, is cultural, Right, but it doesn't mean there's nothing. Just because something is multiple doesn't mean there's no direction to it. Um, so, so the field of alignment is just an emerging one. I, I don't know of a university class that talks, you know, that teaches sort of AI alignment. But but folks at OpenAI and who are sort of trying their best, right, bumbling around. In fact, in fact, 
ChatGPT is not a model advancement, right? The underlying model is still GPT, I think 3.5 now, uh, the, the internally you know, numbered. But but the reason that they're able to release it is that there's been a lot of alignment work done on the underlying model. They said, okay, now this thing is going to go out there. And uh, what was that? What was that Microsoft thing that Microsoft released Tay or something that you know got racist after yeah. after a few days? A few days um, on Twitter. Right. Uh, so so alignment is very important. And and here's my optimistic um, take on it, which is, uh, well, first of all, how do you think alignment work is being done? It's certainly not being done by purely feeding it, quote unquote, the right data and adjusting the weights, right? Because as these models become more capable of adjusting their weights from the conversations with you and me, the alignment work is being done by telling it in English what you want. And then the weights adjust, right? So so the interesting thing is these things sort of emerging as, let's say, little children, very smart children, <laughs> very knowledgeable children. Uh, but but we, you can start to talk to them, right? And, and so they're reaching us. They're reaching our ability, our, our normal communication protocol, language, and so on. They, they no longer are restricted just to bits and bytes of the images, and then hopefully something correct emerges. Uh, so so I think, uh, again, coming back, I think I think you're right in the large that we should be very concerned about this thing I'm going to call alignment. <clears throat> but it's also at the same time, our ability, the tools available to us to, to do alignment is becoming more accessible, more powerful as well. Yeah. This this might be an impossible question because it it might be pretty akin to the hard problem of consciousness. But I was discussing uh, this this conversation actually over the weekend with my friend Amin, and we were getting into this idea or this question of whether the black box is something that can ever be solved. Um, if this is an issue that's just temporary, and then eventually we'll be able to figure out how to look at those weights and and figure out how to trace a, an output back to its source do you think that is something that is feasible or is this is that pretty unrealistic well that's actually some some people may dismiss that as as the you know a naive question mm-hmm. or it could be a very profound question uh, i'm, I'm going to sort of unpack why i think that Take I, I think people <laughs> may dismiss it exactly well i think it's a profound question right but i i, I want people not to misunderstand that it is a naive question uh, at the mechanical level, it seems like a naive question because we know exactly what's going on. Like we know this better than we know our brains, right? Because we can actually look at what's happening. We can see the bits and the byte flowing. We actually created all these inference algorithms and we, we know exactly, well, the thing is clearly multiplying those numbers and so on. Uh, so in that sense, it's a complete white box, right? But I think you're right, it's a black box in that we don't know really Right, we don't know. We don't have a good handle how this quote-unquote intelligence is it has emerged. Right. In other words, there's layers to to this thing, and then somewhere we make a leap. <laughs> so that leap is kind of that 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 equivalent black box, right? Okay. At some level, we say, okay, I just know this thing works, and I'm going to use it. Right. I'm going to use it for my homework. I'm going to use it for my proposal, and so on. Um, so I think maybe the term black box could be problematic with some people who say, I really know what's going on here. Uh, so may- maybe I'll shift it as sort of the ability, you know, going back to the question of alignment, right? Is there intent here, right? 
uh, how can you say there is no intent if there is emerging understanding and does intent matter, right? You know, I, I talked earlier about, you know, it doesn't matter what you intend, I mean, the impact is the same, right? But as society, as humans, we 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 do sort of, uh, we, we dole out, you know, punishment for crime very differently if there is intent or not. Just this morning, there was a question in Congress about, you know, Sam Bankman fried like, you know, was it willful ignorance or, you know, who the hell cares? I mean, I lost a million dollars, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's a, that's a challenging question, right? Um, uh, because that that that's why you say correctly. I think it, it comes back to our sense of consciousness, right? Consciousness, intent, and 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 so on. It's very. Th- these are not very well defined words, by the way, that we think we know, right? Because these are sort of very intuitive to us. Um, so if we're not ourselves grounded in a good grammar and a good vocabulary for these words how can we begin to you know we, if we can't introspect and how can we inspect these these machines and say they do or do not have this intent so i think that's uh that's a that's a fascinating area for research and and i wish by the way that the that the branches you know psychology neuroscience and, and machine learning computer science would work together better i you know th- th- i think it will but in the beginning there's always these uh, turf wars <laughs> yeah absolutely do, do you think that it'd be possible i guess to i'm, I'm going to build on that question a little bit with something like gpt do you think it would be possible to learn where the answer comes from in terms of it the data set that it most heavily pulls on and i i mentioned this specifically for something like dolly or mid journey where a lot of things that people are concerned about is that it's basically stealing somebody's art and creating stealing their art style and creating a new piece of art using their work as the prime data that they were trained on. And there's a question of whether or not we could somehow maybe give some kind of attribution or even, you know, financial support to an artist whose data set is maybe the largest contributor to the output from one of these systems. Does that seem something like something that's possible or, or that you think would be an interesting uh, application? Yeah, I'm, I'm. I haven't thought about this deeply enough, and and certainly I'm, you know, don't know enough about the fields to say, you know, here's here's my answer. Uh, I I do know I have this mental model of creativity or or large class of creativity. Uh, um, I, I I'm gonna say this. I don't want to trivialize it, but I can certainly talk a lot about my own creativity. It has been the intersection of two things, which may be obvious but that were previously somehow unrelated and then then you combine two ideas together by, by the way that's why you know i inherently believe you know pop psychology um you know that's why creative people tend to be you know uh, what's the word they tend to have synesthesia as well right because you know their brains are wired in such a way that the different modes kind of uh, intersect i really think it, a big part if not all of creativity is about that two unrelated things, maybe, you know, in a rare blue moon, three unrelated things coming together. Um, and so, uh, you know, you know, this, this idea of hyperspace, right? Many, many different dimensions. You have two straight lines and, and they don't meet, but then in some rare moment, they in hyperspace, they, they cross. And at that moment you have this burst of creativity. Oh, I've, you know, Eureka, right? I, I thought of how, you know, to combine engineering with, uh, with music or something like that. Um, so, if if you subscribe to that idea, if you believe that idea, then how do we attribute, right? 
the 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 act of combining some an idea of yours an idea of mine or a field of yours and a field of mine if we have if we have always acknowledged the source but also credited the the person or the thing or the organization that does the actual intersection uh that i think i think you know how much stealing did actually take place right i'm not saying there isn't never ever right there's straight plagiarism uh, but I guess what I'm saying is don't underestimate the ability or the emergent creativity, at least by this definition, right? The ability of these machines to combine two heretofore unrelated concepts and come out with something that is, I'm going to call it its own. Yeah. Right? Well, do, do you think then as, some, as somebody who has worked at the intersection of, of AI and business pretty heavily that we're going to have to reconsider intellectual property law? Oh, absolutely. IP law. Yes. In fact, I was on the record 2000, I want to say 2014 at, at a meeting, at a corporate meeting. It was actually Honeywell, a friend of mine, Rhonda Germany, who was the CTO and CMO there. And there was an IP lawyer, right? <laughs> and and you have to you have to backcast yourself to 2014, 15. So none of this was was obvious, right? Um, and And we were talking about open source, right? Uh, back then, open source software, and I made a controversial statement. And I said, you know, you know, corporate assets, you know, insofar as software and so on, going forward, it's not going to be source code. It's going to be the models, right? So the point is that shift alone was when I said that, you know, in the, there was no resonance, right? <laughs> First of all, what the hell is models, right? Um, uh, but but you know, it's pretty obvious now, right? Uh, you know, companies say, well, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be the best in the world about these learning algorithms, right? Not, not even public data sets. But my intellectual property are two things. Number one, data sets that are unique to me, right? And my domain knowledge. That's, that's how I'm, I'm going to, that, that's how I'm going to innovate and, and, and where my edge is. It's not going to be building these shared models. So, that's already happening. So what you say is already true. People have to rethink what is IP, right? It, it, the value of those lines of code, those are learning algorithms. Even if you own them, you know, somebody's gonna come up with a different algorithm to, to do to do learning and so on. It's not that valuable. Uh, what you wanna protect are knowledge, right? They sort of, we come back to the word knowledge, right? Knowledge, whether it is embedded in these models or knowledge that is in, you know, embedded in, in, in my human, experts, right? my human workers, and so on. That's what's going to be unique going forward, right? And so, and so absolutely, you know, what, what people want to protect, whether IP law changes or not, uh, I, I think these industry, what I call industry intuitions will, will reveal themselves. Well, and as we look forward a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe to bring a bit of a closing to the conversation, as somebody who has navigated these waters um, and has seen the disruption, you know, with your entrepreneurial background and your skills and AI, what kind of advice would you give somebody who's interested even in entering this domain? And what are some of the, I guess, most dominant emerging areas where you think people should be paying attention to? Well, I think I think the broadest brush that I can paint is it's an exciting new economy, right? Um, and that is to contrast with the old economy. Uh, and this has been always true, right? Uh, it, 
um, you want to be connected to the new economy. It's, it's not that you have to be an engineer, you don't have to be a product manager, you don't have to be a, 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 a podcaster, you don't have to be a creator, whatever, right? But there is this emerging new economy and it's a new economy with new business models, new tools, new audiences, new customers, and so on, which contrasts itself with with very, you know the old economy of how you how you make money, how you learn, and so on. I I, I think that this is certainly the advice that I give my own children. Right, like make sure whatever you do that you are connected to the new, to the new economy, and that means being aware of what's happening, and maybe not to the up to the minute, right. But but be very willing to adopt new tool, sort of to to keep your mind open, not to be fearful. I, I don't think fear has ever led to, you know, greatness. Right? <laughs> maybe it'll it'll protect you for, for the day or the month. Uh, but but I think I think uh, uh, there's a reason why you know people, creative people or people who create things tend to be optimists, right? Because you have to believe in the possibilities. Right. So, so I, I would say, you know, some of the things that you and I touch on, right. A number of years ago, it would have been social networks, right. Internet, mobile, and so on. Uh, and now chat GPT, right. There's talk about how it's going to destroy education, but those are sort of coming from a static assumption, right. That the world doesn't change. The world always changes, right. People will change, people will adapt. And so if you sort of go to, you know, Wayne Gretzky, go to where the puck is or try to anticipate it, um, I, you know, have, uh, because things are changing faster and faster, right? So that is that is qualitatively different. Um, don't assume that you're going to be, you know, taking on one job and, and, and stay with it for the rest of your career. Those days are, are gone, right? But be very flexible and be, be, be willing to just, you know, for some people that maybe learn Python, right? And take a data science course. For others, it may be taking on a marketing role that is talking about, uh, you know, uh, these these foundational models as opposed to something from from the old economy. Um, uh, you know, over the next five years, I think it's going to be a whole bunch of of experiments, companies that are trying to leverage, you know, these foundational models and and do transformative things. There are already gimmicks of course right you know and, and you can temporarily make some money with it right uh, write somebody's essay and 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 and, and get, write them letters and so on uh, but i do think over the next five years there's going to be a whole bunch of very large companies institutions that are founded on this idea of i can take a foundational model and i can apply it right in, in what sam altman called this middle layer right uh, to music to art you know, to medicine, to biology, cold fusion, whatever. Um, uh, we we want to stand on the shoulder of giants, and there's an emerging giant, right? That giant is is the foundational models. So make sure you stay on top of that. Yeah, that's great advice, Christopher. Well, I want to thank you for your time, man. But before we go, I want to give you a chance to to leave us with any closing thoughts, point people in any direction you'd like to uh, talk about anything at all. Well, you know, if you're interested in, 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 if you found this, these thoughts interesting, and want to reach me, or or talk about knowledge first AI as it applies to the industrial economy. I'm very excited about it. You know, it sounds stodgy, but I, but I like to call it the physical economy because when you say industrial, people think, oh, oh, that must be like large machines and so on. But no, if you eat a fish, you you care you care about the the physical economy.